Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. If you would please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're beginning in verse 37 and reading through verse 54. Luke 11, 37 through 54, this is God's Word. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees! Because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. 
So Jesus has been teaching, and one of the Pharisees says, hey, why don't you come have a meal at my house? And Jesus, not knowing what kind of man this was and what might await him in that environment, naively went ahead and went with the man. Right? Of course not. Jesus knew exactly what was in that man's heart and in that man's mind. That man was not looking for an opportunity to glean more wisdom from the wisest person he'd ever encountered. He was not looking to try and find out how he could please the Lord. He was looking for an opportunity to watch Jesus up close and find some fault in him. Jesus, you must remember, had not only been teaching the people, he had been working miracles. His reputation was that of a superstar in this country. Everybody knew about him. But here was an opportunity for the Pharisee to be able to say, yeah, he's, he's been in my house. I, I, got, I got to watch. And you know what? He didn't do the ceremonial washing before the meal. Because Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled the law of God, could not be bothered with efforts to fulfill the traditions of men. Jesus, who is holiness personified, holy God made man. Jesus was not going to follow a bunch of stupid traditions that served to distract from what God had spoken. If you want a fuller account of some of the things Jesus said about this subject, you might want to read Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is just a cross-reference. We're not going to go there right now. But in Matthew 23, you have many of these same statements and Jesus absolutely ripped the Pharisees. And he did so both privately, this was a semi-private gathering in a man's home, to publicly when he's speaking to the crowds. Jesus was very harsh in the things that he said. I mean, look at even in these verses here in Luke chapter 11. You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you, he doesn't say inside the dish is dirty, he says, I'm not talking about dishes on a table. Inside you are full of greed and wickedness. How could Jesus tell that? Because he knows what's inside of us. I've shared the story before of my brother who was attending a meeting in North Carolina as, as a pastor. He was a pastor. But he was there and he felt led to go forward. And he decided, no, I'm not going to do that publicly. I will go tonight when nobody's around and meet with this guy. Like Nicodemus met with Jesus at night. And when it came time for the invitation, the invitation was coming to a close. People had gone forward. A total stranger a man he had never met, a man who had no way, apparently, of knowing who he was, that man, seated further down the row, came, looked at my brother and said, well, Nicodemus, it's now or never. 
my brother went forward. Now, here's the thing. How did that guy know? He didn't. God did. God knew what my brother was thinking. God knew what my brother had said to himself. God knew what my brother needed to hear in order to get up from his seat and go seek out prayer from the fellow who'd been preaching. God knew that. Imagine being the other guy. The guy who had to deliver that message to my brother, he's looking over there and he's saying, God, why would I say that? I, I don't even know that guy. But God told that man what to say and that man said it. Well, Pastor, I think maybe that must have been, uh, that, that couldn't have just been some regular guy. That, that must have been an angel or something. Well, the word angel involves messenger. Whether it was an angelic being or a brother in Christ. Don't miss where the message came from. The message came from God, who knew what my brother was thinking and saying to himself. God knows what you're thinking. God knows what you say to yourself. God knows the stuff you hear in your head. God knows everything you've done. God knows the things that you plan to do. God knows everything. Folks, with current events, many of us are realizing all the more that our time on earth is temporary. While I have many on my heart that I pray will surrender to Jesus, I'm beginning to get very excited about soon spending forever with Him. Can you relate? If you're like many of us who are rethinking our wills, I'd like to ask you to consider leaving a gift to support the kids at Wears Valley Ranch. We have a program called Legacy 145. It's based on Psalm 145.4. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. If participating in something that will pass on the gospel to future generations after you're in heaven interests you, go to wvr.org and click on the icon for Legacy 145. That's wvr.org and click on the Legacy 145 button. Or you can give us a call at 866-41-ABIDE. That's 866-41-ABIDE. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is And so Jesus knew what was in this Pharisee's heart when he accepted the invitation to dine with him. And when Jesus didn't do, this doesn't mean Jesus' hands were all gross and dirty. It means he didn't do the ritual washing. I've shared this illustration before, but it is one of my absolute favorite illustrations of how stupid some of the traditional rules were. You could not spit on the ground on the Sabbath for fear that there might be a seed in the dirt, in which case you would be watering a seed, in which case you would be farming, and that would be work. So you couldn't spit on the ground. Okay? Now, that's insane. That's not what God said. But that was the rule they made. If you found your handkerchief had fallen on the floor, and you wanted to pick it up and carry it upstairs to your room, 
That would be a violation of the law on the Sabbath. You would be working, carrying a burden. If you picked it up off the floor and put it in your pocket or tied it around your head or your neck and wore it upstairs and then took it off and put it in the room, that's legit. That's fine because you're not carrying anything. You're just wearing it. Well, what if it's more than a handkerchief? What if it's like a, a little mattress to, to take a nap on? Well, if you can pick it up and put it on, wrap it around yourself, maybe tie a belt around it, and then walk upstairs with it, then you can take it off and put it down, and that's not work because you're wearing it. That's insanity! But that was what these folks were specializing in. They gave people all sorts of rules to follow that were not God's law. And they were focused on knowing all the ins and outs of those rules. You've heard the story I've shared before of the guy who knew you can only travel, this is a modern guy, you can only travel a short distance on the Sabbath unless you're traveling over water. So he got a jar, filled it with water, and put it under the driver's seat and drove. Because, hey, (laughs) I'm traveling over water. That's just sick. Who are we trying to fool? But these guys were all about impressing each other and impressing themselves because they kept all these rules, they did all these things. And God who is the only one whose opinion matters, was not impressed. So now God has come to visit this guy in his home. He doesn't recognize who Jesus is. And he's critiquing Jesus and saying, "Hmm, country bumpkin. (laughs) He, He didn't even do the ritual hand washing. Jesus says, you know what? You're dirty on the inside. You're full of greed and wickedness on the inside. That's pretty strong, isn't it? You foolish people. These were guys who considered themselves scholars. They were the knowledgeable ones. They were the educated ones. Jesus says, you're foolish. Didn't the one who made the outside make the inside also? This man's in the presence of his maker. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. Word became flesh and lived among us. Here He is in a man's house, and this man has no clue. Didn't the one who made the outside make the inside also? If you will give what's inside the dish, in other words, share your food with the poor, then everything will be clean for you. Why? Because you will no longer be displaying greed and wickedness. Woe to you Pharisees. You give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. What's going on there? Well, God had told his people they were to give the first fruits to him. You're to bring as a sacrifice to the Lord a tenth of all that you produce. So these guys, in order to demonstrate how careful they were to obey the law, are going out into their garden and getting a tenth 
of each of the herbs and bringing that in too. That ought to make it clear. We had a guy in our church in Atlanta who used to give like $496.37 each week. Okay? Now, that, that's a very nice gift. Well, but, but if you're making that much money, 10 times that per week, couldn't you afford to round up to an even dollar amount? Well, Pastor, you're not acting very grateful. I'm just saying, if you're trying to make sure you're tithing to the penny, something's wrong with your attitude. Okay, so I, I don't need to bother about the tithe. No, just be generous. It all belongs to God, not just 10%. Everything is the Lord's. Jesus is speaking harshly to a man in whose house he's being fed. But guess what? Jesus owns the house and the man and the planet. He has a right to act that way because of who he is. And this guy is completely oblivious to who Jesus is. Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees. You do these meticulous keeping of the law, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You can still tithe all the herbs, but don't think that when you do, you don't have to be concerned about justice and the love of God. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. If a person walked over a grave, they became ceremonially unclean. Jesus said, you make people dirty. You are messing people up. Now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is this next verse. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus says, Oh gosh, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. Please don't take offense. Is that what Jesus said? One of the experts in the law said, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, verse 46, And you experts in the law, woe to you! Boom! The guy is saying, Jesus, you don't mean to offend us, do you? And Jesus says, oh, I'll talk about you then. I'll focus on you. And Jesus absolutely reams them. Wow. Jesus has a right. Because everything Jesus said about these folks was absolutely true. They were full of wickedness, greed, hypocrisy, deceit, they were wicked, wicked people who were going to demand Jesus' crucifixion, and Jesus knew it. They didn't even know that yet. They had not fully formulated their plan. They just knew that when they encountered this perfectly holy man, it made them angry. They were envious. They were jealous. They were hostile. The natural condition of the unregenerate heart, a person who's not been born again, is hostility toward God. All of us were. It's not, those people are really bad. I'm so glad I'm not like that. Well, 
either you are or you were. Because all of us, Ephesians 2, lived the same way. We were all dominated, animated by the forces of darkness. We were part of that kingdom. We were hostile toward God. Adam and Eve heard the sound of God in the garden, and they ran and hid. That's the human heart. Because we're at enmity against him. We are by nature God's enemies. And God chose to save us. Not because we deserved it, not because we were cute, not because we were basically good. I know, I've got some rough edges, but, but you know, basically, I think down deep, people are good. No, down deep, people are rotten. Jesus says we're worse on the inside than we are on the outside. And if we spend our attention trying to clean up the outside and make ourselves look good to people, hi, praise the Lord. But inside, we're unrepentant. Jesus says, that's disgusting. Now, knowing that God hates hypocrisy and deceit and self-righteousness, it has become popular in much of the church these days to say, you know, we just need to be honest. You know, what we need is preachers who cuss and, uh, you know, just, <laughs> we want everybody to know we're just like you. We get drunk sometimes. We... That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you need to repent. Getting clean on the outside is not going to do it. Jesus said, deal with the inside, and the outside will take care of itself. You know, the wonderful thing about following God is you don't have to pretend. And what other people think about you, really not important. What matters is what God says. So, Jesus makes it very clear. If you feel that Jesus might accidentally be criticizing you and making you uncomfortable, <laughs> you're mistaken. He's not doing it accidentally. He's doing it on purpose. But his goal is not just for you to be made uncomfortable. The goal is not just for you to be criticized. The goal is to give you an opportunity to repent. The result of what Jesus said to these folks comes in verse 53. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. By the way, it did not work out well for them. I mean, they did tag team coming to him with various things, and his answers humiliated them. It made them more and more determined to kill him. What's your response to the word of God? When God says something in his word that you don't like, do you start to question the authority of scripture? Do you start to say, well, maybe that doesn't apply to us today. You know, I, I think maybe, maybe, maybe this is mistranslated. Maybe this is just tradition. The idea of saying, we don't believe God's word, we don't trust God's word, we don't believe it is God's word, goes all the way back to the serpent in the garden. The first thing Satan said was, did God really say that? Satan is a liar and the father of lies. 
He hasn't had to change his strategy at all. Throughout all of human history, he is still the one saying to us, did God really say that? What's your response when God speaks? Do you resist or do you repent? Ultimately, those are the only two options. I pray that as you hear and read and study and learn the Word of God, that you will repent and believe the good news. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.